Let's pray. Spirit of God, we do not have to give you permission. You are Lord. You can do anything that you want. And so we just want to tell you that we're excited about that, that we want to cooperate with that, that we want to see exactly what you want to do in our hearts today. And so we say, please, Spirit of God, move in us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, a couple of months ago, Michelle and I rented the latest Mission Impossible movie. Now, there is only one reason to watch a Mission Impossible movie, and it is not the logically coherent plots, okay? Uh, The reason you watch a Mission Impossible movie is because you want to see Tom Cruise do something insane. Uh, Tom Cruise climbing the tallest building in the world, or scaling a 2,000-foot cliff with his bare hands, or holding onto the outside of a plane as it's taking off. And what makes it so great is knowing that Tom Cruise does his own stunts. It's not a double. He doesn't use a green screen. What you see in the movies, he is actually doing. I heard that in War of the Worlds, he insisted on finding a real alien for him to fight. He's that committed to believability. The the cherry on top of it all is that Tom Cruise is in his 50s. He he may still look like Maverick and Top Gun, but he's getting up there. Like he's almost as old as like Jim. Seriously. (laughs) So we're watching Mission Impossible, and in the latest movie, there is this incredible chase scene. It's through the streets of Casablanca in Morocco, these narrow streets. They're on motorcycles and cars, and it's, it's great. And I'm watching this, and as I'm watching, my heart is pumping, and the adrenaline is racing, and I'm, you know, I'm just really into it. And at every turn, I'm like, oh, 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 my. But partway through the scene, something changed. And at first, I didn't know what it was, but I, I, I became aware that I, I was still you know, intrigued. I was thinking, wow, that's impressive. But I wasn't quite as into it. I wasn't feeling it as much. And it took me a while to figure out what had changed. But then I realized the soundtrack in the movie had cut out. It it was still incredible, the action. But but it was was almost like, you know, nothing was there. Like the whole rest of the movie, you know, it was like, the whole thing. And you're going and going and then nothing. Kind of meh. You ever felt like that with your spiritual life? Like, like you see the action going on, you hear the story being told, but it's not hitting home. It's like the soundtrack is cut out. Your, your mind's engaged, but the rest of you isn't moved. Today we're beginning a new series that is called Holy Spirit. You will never guess what it's about. Seriously, it took a bunch of really creative people a long time to come up with that name, so I hope you appreciate it. And uh, you should be excited for what we're calling our June series, Equally Creative. Um, Over the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. As followers of Christ, we believe in the Trinity. And this is a, a pretty mysterious and often misunderstood belief, but it basically boils down to two things that we believe very strongly. The, the first is this. We believe there is only one God. One, that is it. A single, unique creator and ruler overall. There's no one like him. No one compares to him. He is in a class of his own. There's one God. We also believe that this one God exists as three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all, all distinct persons with their own consciousness, their own personality, and when they interact with each other and with the world, they do so as different persons. Now, to clarify, this does not mean that we believe in three separate gods. We, we just believe in one God. It also doesn't mean that we believe that each person in the Trinity is sort of just like one-third God. And when you put them all together, their powers combine, and it's like Voltron, and then they're God, you know? 
We also don't believe in a God who sort of switches roles. Like he's one guy and sometimes he's like the father and he changes his costume and sometimes he's like the son and then he changes costume and sometimes he's like the spirit. No, but we believe in one God who exists all the time as three persons, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. The, the technical way to say this is we believe in a God who is one in essence and three in persons. Or you might say we believe in one what and three who's. Now, I know that this is a mind bender, and for a lot of people, it's a deal breaker. It's just too weird. And I wish today that I had time to go into the nuances of this and to give you some of the really good reasons why Christians would believe something that sounds so strange. But we don't have time for that in this sermon. I do want to let you know that later in the summer, we're going to be doing a series on the attributes of God, and we're going to spend an entire week digging into how it can be that God is both one and three. But here's the reason I bring this up today. Uh, first, the Trinity means that the Holy Spirit is God. He, he is fully divine, and he's worthy of our worship, our love, our trust, our obedience. It also means that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a thing. The, the Spirit is not some sort of impersonal energy that's just doing stuff out there. We use the term he and him to refer to the Spirit. And we do that not because the spirit is male, but because the spirit is personal. The contrast is not between he and she, but he and it. The spirit is not an it. The, the Trinity is also important for another reason, and that's because the members of the Trinity are a team. They're, they're always working on the same thing, even though they're doing different things. You, you might say they always have the same goal, but they each have a different role. And, and this is where the, the story about the Mission Impossible movie comes into play. If you think of the Christian story, the gospel, the good news, as a movie, God the Father is kind of like the writer and the director. He, he lays out the plans and he coordinates its execution. The, the son, Jesus Christ, is like the lead actor. He's the one who performs the plot. He carries out the actions. He's the hero who saves the day. And because of that, he's kind of the star of the show. And you can think of the Holy Spirit as being responsible for the, the soundtrack and the special effects and things like that. Here's the funny thing, though, about music and effects in a movie. They're absolutely essential, but you're not always aware of them. In fact, when they're working at their best, you don't think about them at all. You're just immersed in the story. It's, they're affecting you, but you're not conscious of it. You, know, you just watch the movie, and you see, you're like, wow, look at Jesus. He's walking on water. He's feeding 5,000 people. He's raising the dead. This is incredible. Did you know he does his own stunts? It's amazing. But without a soundtrack, without the effects, even the most incredible performance can fall flat. And so this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. His work is essential. It is powerful and pervasive, but it's often in the background. And part of the reason why a lot of us don't know much about the Spirit, it's not because the Spirit isn't at work in our lives. It's because the Spirit is doing his job so well that our eyes are fixed on Jesus and we're engrossed in his story. But as our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we might not realize that the music that plays in our hearts, that's moving us and stirring up awe for what Jesus is doing, that's being played by the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. If the Spirit only ever stays in the background, that's a problem. Because it leaves a lot of us confused and sometimes even suspicious about things associated with the Holy Spirit. And we don't really understand the incredible power that's available to us in the Spirit. And more than that, since the Spirit is God, we are commanded to love him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. And it's really hard to love someone that you don't know anything about. 
So we're going to work on that in this series. And we're going to start off today by asking this question. What does the Holy Spirit do when a person comes to faith in Jesus? We're thinking about this process where someone goes from being on the outside, being resistant, uh, not being engaged with Jesus, to being fully committed, fully surrendered to him, trusting him with everything that you have. Where is the Holy Spirit involved in this process? And we know he's got to be involved in a really critical way because the Apostle Paul tells us, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean you can't say the words with your mouth. It means you can't say them with your heart without the Spirit moving in you. No one moves from not believing in Jesus to believing in Jesus without the Spirit at work. So what exactly does the Spirit do in this process? Well, here's the first thing that we see. The Spirit gives longing. The Spirit gives longing. Let's turn to our Bibles to learn about this. Normally, we dig into just one main passage uh, in a morning, but today we're going to be looking uh, at a few different ones. The first passage we're looking at is in John, the book of John chapter 16, which is one of the biographies of Jesus found in the New Testament. In my Bible, it's on page 1172. If it's on a different page in your Bible, well, then your Bible's wrong. Okay. Um, what Jesus is doing in these chapters is it's the final meal he's having with his followers before he's about to die and be raised and then go back to heaven to be with his father. And he's telling them about this. And as you can imagine, it's kind of troubling to them. So here's what he says in chapter 16 in verse 7. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. What Jesus says here is kind of surprising, isn't it? He says, it's better if I go than if I stay. And you feel like, Jesus, you've got to be exaggerating here. Like, surely it would be better if you were physically present here, right? You know, if, if Jesus were here, we, we could point to him and say, look, he's doing miracles. Go listen to what he's saying. Go, go meet him. Isn't he who he says he is? But here's the thing, Jesus tried that. He did that experiment. For three years, he was physically present before people doing all sorts of wonders and miracles, and most people didn't believe in him. He knows that something deeper, something more profound needs to happen to convince people that Jesus is who he says he is. And so he says, I'm gonna send someone to do that. I'm gonna send the advocate. Now, the advocate is just a, another name for the Holy Spirit, and later in this series, we're going to be talking about this passage in more depth, and we'll talk about why the Spirit's called the advocate. But for now, it's most important to see what the Spirit, Spirit is sent to do. Verse 8 says, he will prove the world to be in the wrong. Here, here's what this means. Uh, when you think about what Jesus does, what he does is external to people. He does miracles, he teaches, he, he dies, he, he rises. And these are all things that are out there that people can see and hear and observe, but they're still kind of like raw data that they've got to interpret and make sense out of. The spirit, on the other hand, comes inside of someone. He goes for the heart, working internally, and he shapes how people understand and interpret and respond to what they see Jesus doing externally. And so under the influence of the Spirit, people take a second look at Jesus and they say, wait a minute, I think I was wrong about this guy. I think that maybe there's more here than I thought. And for a lot of people, when this begins to happen in their life, it just begins sort of as a longing, a desire, a, a, a curiosity to seek and explore. Recently, I heard a guy who's been coming to Christ Community for a few months, and he said, you know, I don't really have this God thing figured out but I'm feeling the need to figure it out. 
He, he says, you know, I, I come here and I, I feel like something's happening when I'm here, like something's stirring or kind of bubbling up from the inside and I don't know what it is. And I'm thinking, I know what it is. It's that burrito you ate on the way here. Like seriously, it's like close quarters. We don't need anything bubbling up from the inside, okay? No, it's, it's the Holy Spirit of God drawing, wooing, calling you. That, that's the Spirit's job to make you restless, uh, curious. Uh, for you, it might just be that you, you, feel, like you, you feel like there's got to be something more out there. Or, or maybe for the first time in your life, you're asking deeper questions. Or, or maybe you're lonely and you're looking for a connection that's, that's so much stronger than any of the relationships you've had. Maybe your life is falling apart and, and suddenly your eyes are open to just how much help you actually need. It, it might be more mysterious than that. Maybe, maybe you had a dream about Jesus. I've known people that that's happened to. Uh, maybe you've encountered a, a coincidence that's just too strange to be random. Uh, for sometimes, sometimes it's even that you're skeptical of Christianity. The, the only reason you're interested in it is to prove it wrong. But even as you're, you're trying to attack it, you find yourself being drawn in to it. The Bible says that the spirit is like wind. He blows wherever he wants. He does whatever he wants. And like the wind, he has a tendency of, of making a mess, of disrupting the status quo in our lives. Some of you are in that place right now. And you might think it's crazy when I say this, but I think that what you are experiencing is God himself working in you. And so here's what I encourage you to do. Cooperate with that. Go with it. See where it leads. Because what often happens is after the Spirit draws someone, they come to this moment where they suddenly get it. I've been reading this great book about the Holy Spirit this week. It's called Jesus Continued by J.D. Greer. Uh, if you're looking for something to dig a little bit deeper as we go through this series, uh, this is a great place to begin. Uh, Greer uses an analogy to explain this moment of sort of getting it. Have you ever seen one of those magic eye images? They look kind of like this, okay? Uh, they're super cool back in 1996, which is great because I'm always trying to keep my uh, illustrations relevant and hip, you know? And, and at first glance, when you see one of these, they're, they're just a random jumble of swirls and dots and lines. But if you know how to look at it the right way, it resolves into a 3D image, usually something awesome like a humpback whale or a unicorn or something. And, and people, when they first see one, they, they kind of stare at it for a long time. And they're like, I don't, I don't see what people see in this. And people try to tell them how to, how to see it. They're like, you just cross your eyes, just cross your eyes. They just unfocus and unfocus. Like you look through the picture, look through the picture. And you're like, what are you talking about? I do not get it. But you stare and you stare and you stare. And then all of a sudden it's like, bam unicorns, mind blown. This is amazing. <laughs> That's what coming to Jesus is kind of like. Yeah, you, you've been looking at Jesus and you say, I don't get it. I don't see what other people see. But then all of a sudden, information hasn't changed. The picture isn't different, but it just comes together and you say, oh, unicorns. I get it. I get it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, changing your perspective from the inside. And for a lot of us here, that's happened to us. We, we, we see it. We see the unicorns. And we want the people that we love to see them too. And that's why this is really good news, what the Spirit does. It, what it means for us is this. We don't have to stress out when we're talking to people about Jesus. We, we don't have to worry about how to uh, stir up a longing in their heart for God. Because that's not our job. That's the Spirit's job. We, we don't have to worry about how to convince them so that they get it all of a sudden. That's the Spirit's job. And it frees us up to just take every opportunity we get to talk about Jesus because you never know who the Spirit's working in. So you just, you just throw things out there. You, you're talking to your neighbor. 
And instead of talking about, oh, what are you doing with your, your yard or your home improvement project or whatever, you say, you know, I don't know if you've ever talked about this, but are you at all religious? Like, have you, you ever been a churchgoer? Or you've got a, a friend at work and you talk to them about a lot of things all the time and you, you never really talk to them about church, but you think, well, maybe I should invite them. You know, they're, they're a Bears fan, so you say, hey, come, come to this event we're having. Wild weekend at our church in June, Matt Forte is going to be there, you should come. Or, or maybe a, a friend shares something that's really heavy with you. And instead of saying, oh man, that's, that's hard, I, I'm so sorry. You say, can I pray for you? Like, I, I, I pray for you at other times, but I'd love to pray for you right here and right now. Could I do that? You should expect to be surprised at who's interested in God. The Spirit blows where He wills, and He can give a longing for God to even the most unlikely of people. That's the first thing the Spirit does. He gives longing. To see the second thing the Spirit does, let's turn to the little New Testament book of Titus. Uh, this is a letter of Paul written to a guy named Titus. Uh, it's a short book toward the end of the Bible. Um, it's hard to find, but if you find the other books that start with T, they're all grouped together, and Titus is the last one. We'll be in chapter 3, starting in verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. What we learn in these verses is that the Spirit gives life. Uh, one of my wife's cousins is a hunter. Normally he hunts deer, but he's not above shooting other kinds of animals. And one time when he was in college, he shot a squirrel with a BB gun. And he thought, you know, it would be a shame to waste all that meat. So he took the squirrel and he put it uh, in the only place he had, because he, he was a college student in a dorm, in that little uh, fridge that he had in the freezer section uh, in his dorm room. And he put it there uh, just at the beginning of Christmas break, and he went home for Christmas break. And when he came back, as soon as he walked into the dormitory, he knew something was wrong because a wave of stench hit him. As he got closer to his room, went up the stairs to his floor, it got stronger and stronger to the point where he couldn't walk into his room. What he had not counted on was that they were going to turn the power off at uh, his dorm over Christmas break. And so there was a, a carcass rotting in a sealed plastic box for, you know, four weeks or so. Delicious. You ever wonder what's wrong with the world? <laughs> well, according to the Bible, it is that something has died and been left to rot. The human heart. The Bible describes all of us as dead in our sins. You might hear that and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, you know, I know some people are really bad, but I know a lot of good people, and I certainly don't feel like my heart is dead. But here's a question I would ask. Do you smell the stench? Look again at verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. This is one of those verses that I feel like it's just so honest, it's so real, like it's a good description of the human condition. There's so many people that are so smart, and yet we act like fools. People are hooked on all kinds of passions and pleasures that they think are going to set them free, but it just leaves them in chains. Most of the people I know are consumed with envy and jealousy at other people. People are full of malice. They're cruel. We're hated and we hate one another. 
It's the stench in the lobby that points to the rot in the fridge. All the problems in the world, from the most devastating to the most petty, they all have their beginning in the human heart. So what happened? How did did our hearts die? Well, each and every one of us, we've cut ourselves off from God. We've said we're going to live our own life, do things our own way. We're going to be our own God. And so we've cut ourselves off from God, who is the source of life. And that means we die physically, spiritually. And if something isn't done about it, we die eternally. That's the bad news, but there's good news. Look look at verse 4. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. What does it mean when it says the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared? What's that referring to? Jesus. Jesus Christ. The one person whose heart was still alive. His heart was still connected to his Father in heaven. He is the one who came to rescue us. And here's how he rescued us. He chose to die like us so that we could live like him. He he took the death that we deserve and he died it on the cross. He, He stood in our place. He took our penalty, our consequences. But then three days later, he rose from the dead and he brought new life with him for anybody who will trust him. And look at verse five again, because here's the the real key here. It says, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done. Jesus didn't come for righteous people. He didn't come for good people. He didn't come for the moral giants or the worthy. You know why he didn't come for those people? Because they don't exist. Every single one of us is dead in our sins. This is not the, the princess bride where some people are all dead and others are just mostly dead. Jesus didn't come to reward the good people. He came to raise the dead people. But here's the tricky thing about this. Jesus, what he did happened 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. So what does that have to do with us here and now? Here's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Verse 5 says, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So here's what the Spirit does. The Spirit takes what Jesus accomplished and applies it to our hearts. So on the cross, Jesus took our filth so that we could be clean. And the Spirit takes that and applies it to our hearts and actually cleanses us. In the resurrection, Jesus conquered death and brought new life for whoever would trust him. And the Spirit takes that and applies that to our hearts and we are reborn. Theologians have a term for this. It's called regeneration. Storytellers also have a term for this. And it's called true love's kiss. The moment when we wake from the sleep of death and come into the arms of the one who loves us. If you are a believer in Christ, if you have trusted Christ as your savior, this has happened to you. You have been given life. This is why we use baptism as a way to express the beginning of our life in Christ. It's a way of symbolizing that that washing that the Holy Spirit does. And it's also a way of symbolizing how we've been brought out of death and into life. Well, what does it look like to have a a living heart instead of a dead one? Well, just think about what living things do. Uh, Living things grow. Uh, When the Spirit brings us to life, we we start to change and mature and develop. And and at first, it might feel like it's just a a seed planted under the soil and you can't see what's going on. But before long, the shoots start to come out and you see growth happening in your life. Uh, Living things, they also automatically seek the things that will sustain them. Plants, they draw nutrients from the soil and they grow towards the sun and animals hunt for food. 
It's natural. And a spiritually alive person automatically seeks the things that sustain them. They, they want worship. They want community. They're drawn to prayer and to God's word. Uh, living things are, are fruitful. They, they multiply. A spiritually alive person starts to see their life having an impact on other people for the good. Uh, they, they start to share their faith. They start to serve the people around them. They, they seek justice in their community. This is what the Spirit does. When he brings us to life. And so instead of filling the world with the stench of death, we contribute to the beauty and the, the health of people and communities that we're involved in. This is what the Spirit does. He gives life. Let's look at a third passage here. Turn with me to the book of Romans, to chapter 8. There's another letter of Paul, and he's got a lot to say in this chapter about the Spirit. We're just going to look at two verses, verses 15 and 16. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Here's what we learn here. Not only does the Spirit give longing and life, the Spirit also gives love. There's an event in the life of Jesus that just absolutely fascinates me. I think about it again and again. And it happened when Jesus went down to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. And as he went down into the water and came back out, the heavens were opened and the Spirit of God came down like the dove. And as the Spirit is coming down, a voice calls out from heaven, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. It's the voice of God the Father saying publicly and definitively, Jesus is mine. He's saying three really important things. He says, he is mine, I love him, and he makes me really happy. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that wasn't the first moment that Jesus experienced that from the Father. Before the world began, he experienced the perfect, glorious love of the Trinity, for, for eternity past, the Father has been loving the Son, and the Son has been adoring the Father, and the Spirit delighting in the Son, and the Father rejoicing in the Spirit. Uh, sometimes we think of God as this sort of uh, solitary, stoic, still figure, almost as if he's eternally bored. But, but that's not the case. Uh, God is a family. He is a friendship. He is a perfect celebration of love. And for all eternity, this is what Jesus was experiencing. And what happened at his baptism is it stopped being a private experience for him and it became a public declaration. And here's where this uh, connects with our passage in Romans 8. Look, it says in verse 15, the spirit we received has brought about our adoption to sonship. When we come to faith in Jesus, we are adopted as God's children. Uh, Jesus shares with us all of the rights th that he has as the son of God. Uh, Jesus takes on all of our problems and he gives us all of his privileges. We are called co-heirs with Jesus. That is our official status in the court of heaven. But it's more than just a legal transaction. It's a personal relationship. The, the spirit comes inside of us and fills us with the love that has been shared between the members of the Trinity for all eternity past. Just like when the spirit descended on Jesus at his baptism, the spirit communicates to us the message of the father. He, he whispers in our hearts the same thing that was said to Jesus. You are my daughter. You are my son. I absolutely love you. You make me happy. I treasure you. I cherish you. 
And the experience of that love, it calls out love from us in response. And verse 15 says, we cry out, Abba, Father. We say, Father, I love you. Father, I trust you. Father, I need you. Father, I belong to you. Without the Spirit, religion is just like a duty. It's just an obligation. But with the Spirit, it becomes this response of love and trust. It's a real relationship. The the Spirit gives us love. Uh, Let's look at one final passage here. It's found in the New Testament book of Ephesians in chapter 1, starting in the second half of verse 13. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Here's what we learn here. Not only does the Spirit give us longing and life and love, the Spirit also gives us a future. Now, some of you are going to spend the rest of the sermon trying to think of a synonym for future that starts with L, which I have been trying to do all week, so good luck with that. Let me know if you come up with anything. There are two words in this passage that are kind of key. The first is seal. In the ancient world, when someone wrote a letter or they made a document, in order to make it official, they would mark it with a seal. They'd take a a little bit of wax and they would uh, imprint that wax with a, a special design that said, this is mine. It was a way of guaranteeing for someone who received that document that they knew it was authentic, that it came from the person who sent it, and that they should accept it and receive it. It's sort of like if you've ever looked at like a celebrity's Twitter account, uh, next to the picture, they've got the little check mark that says, no, this really is that person. It's not a fake. Uh, Paul is using this image here as a way of saying, you have been marked by God. You've been marked by God as his. The the Holy Spirit is guaranteeing that on the other side of life, when you arrive in heaven, you will be received as official. You have been certified as belonging to him. So if you are a believer in Christ, the the Holy Spirit has marked you. you. You have been guaranteed a life with God, a future with God. And this is not just true of some believers. It says, when you believed, you are marked with a seal. You don't have to do anything extra to earn this. It's not some sort of bonus experience. If you believe in Jesus, you are sealed for heaven. It is guaranteed. You can be sure of that. The other key word here is deposit. The word could also be translated down payment. It means that the Holy Spirit is kind of the first installment of the fullness of what's to come. How many of you know what's happening next week? I'm not talking about Cinco de Mayo. I'm not even talking about Star Wars Day on May the 4th. I'm talking about the premiere of Captain America Civil War. Oh my gosh, I've been so excited. Now, some of you are like, I am sick of seeing ads for that movie, but I am not. Like I, every, every trailer, every clip, I've even watched the ones that are like in French and German just to get another glimpse of things. I've been soaking it all in. Like when the second trailer came out and Spider-Man was unveiled, oh, I watched that thing like four times in a row and I was at work. So good thing none of you know my boss, okay? Hey, Jim. <laughs> But you, you watch a movie trailer, and what does it do? It gets you excited. It gives you a preview. It gives you a taste of what is coming ahead. And, and this is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. It gives us a, a, a glimpse, an experience of the future kingdom in the present. If you have surrendered to Christ, you have an incredible promise, eternal life in the kingdom of God. Uh, the whole world is going to be restored. Your body is going to be raised from the dead. Jesus is going to set to right all things that are wrong. 
Sin will be completely removed from your heart and you will know the fullness of the presence of God. The spirit in your life right now is a little preview of what that's gonna be like. We're gonna be unpacking this over the next four weeks of our series, but when the spirit comes into your life, he starts to change all sorts of things. He starts to transform your character so that you love well and you live well. The, the, the Spirit comes and gives us power to make a difference in the world, spiritual gifts uh, that enable us to serve other people. Uh, the Spirit brings unity between diverse and divided people. The Spirit performs miracles, uh, physical healing, emotional healing. The, the Spirit does impart right now what He will do in fullness in the future. Now, of course, the, the Spirit with us right now is not the fullness. It, it's not the whole thing to come. I mean, think about it. If, if next weekend someone said, hey, you want to go see Captain America? And I said, you know, I'm just going to stay here and just watch the trailer a few more times. That, that, I would have missed the point, right? Because it's supposed to get me hungry. It's supposed to get me excited for the real thing. So in some ways, the spirit coming into your life kind of messes things up. Because he makes you restless and discontent with the present. In one place in the Bible, Paul talks about the spirit inside of us causing us to groan. We cry out for the kingdom to come. We cry out for things to be made right. And sometimes people wonder, you know, if I don't feel totally content with my life, does that mean something's spiritually wrong with me? Well, sometimes discontentment is a problem, but other times it's a sign of the spirit at work. You should not be content with sin in your life or injustice in your community. You should not be content with disease or division or death. You should not accept the status quo. The, the Spirit gives us a taste and a guarantee of the future, and it makes us hungry for more. It, it gives us both a confidence and a restlessness about what is coming. Here, here's a strange thing about talking about the Holy Spirit. We talk about all the things that he does, but he, he, because he is like the wind, we cannot control him. He does whatever he wants. He is in charge. And, and so the way we respond to someone that we are not in control of is simply this. We open the windows and say, if you want to blow in, blow in. This is why we do things like the week of prayer here at Christ Community. Because we say, we know if, if, if we do all the planning and all the hard work and we give the money and we give the time and we, we put on the services and we do all the programs, that's going to be great. But if the spirit doesn't blow through, if God doesn't show up in power, it means nothing. It means nothing. And so we pray all the time. And, and three times a year, we set aside weeks to just dedicate that to prayer. And it's not some sort of peripheral add-on to the things that we do here. It, it's essential. Because without God moving, this is, this is really a waste of time. And so that's why I want to encourage you, as a way of responding to a message about the Holy Spirit, go out and in each of your campuses, there are still spots available. Go and sign up and, and take a spot and say, I'm going to pray for half an hour for our church, for our lives, for our community. And we're going to do that and seek God this week. I also know that some of you are here and you've, you kind of were listening to that part about longing. You're saying, I, you know, I think that's me. I'm in that place. I'm seeking, I'm searching. And, and you've come to the place where you say, I, I think I see it. I think it's come together. I, I, I think I want Jesus. And you're wondering, okay, what do, what do I do next? How do I respond to what the Spirit is doing in my life? And so what I'm going to do now is we're, we're going to pray and I'm going to pray a prayer, and there's nothing magical about this, but it's a way of expressing a surrender to Jesus, a surrender and say, I trust you, I need you, I want you. And so that's you. If you're in that place, I would say pray this along with me in your heart as I pray it, and invite God 
and begin a relationship with him. Let's pray. God, this is it. I need you and I know it. I know that I'm not one of the good guys. I'm a sinner and I've cut myself off from you, from the source of life, and I deserve death. And I am so sorry for what I've done. Forgive me. Jesus, I I surrender to you. I I put my trust in you. I I need you to save me. I I know that your death on the cross, it was for me. I I know that your resurrection, it's my only hope. So rescue me, God. Holy Spirit, I invite you into my life. Awaken me, change me, bring me to life. I am yours. And God, thank you. Thank you for being gracious with me. Thank you for loving me. Now, if you were praying that prayer, I want to pray for you. God, I thank you for the people in this room and the people at all four of our campuses who just now have prayed and invited you into their life. God, I thank you for the good news that this means they have been brought out of death into life. They have been adopted as your child. They have been sealed for eternal life. Heaven is guaranteed for them. And we praise you for what you've just done in saving them. And we ask that you would work in them, Spirit of God, move in them to help them grow and develop in this new life that they have. God, I also want to pray for others in this room that they felt that longing, they've been searching, but they, they're still unsure and they, they didn't want to pray a prayer like that. God, I, I pray that you would awaken such a strong longing in them, a hunger in them, that, that they can't help but continue to seek you. Blow through their hearts and clear away every barrier that stands in the way. And, and for all of us, I, I pray that you would give us an increasing sense of your incredible love and the incredible future that you have waiting for us in your kingdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.